This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425, if you'd like to call in and be a part of the program. We got to talk about the border situation. We haven't spent a lot of time on the border lately. Uh, It hasn't gone away as a topic. There have just been more pressing topics. I want to play for you some audio. This is Will Hurd. Will Hurd is the Republican who is running for president who will go nowhere. He won't even get on the debate stage. He is essentially courting the media and bashing Donald Trump. But Will Hurd is also a congressman, former congressman from South Texas. And I need you to listen to this clip, this interview of Will Hurd on television. There's a point to be made that you need to digest. I, I want to ask you about uh, immigration because um, you're from, uh, you re- used to represent yeah. a border district. Um, and just on Thursday, a three-year-old child who was aboard a bus of asylum seekers uh, died. Um, the bus had been headed to Chicago from Texas as part of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's program, uh, sending uh, asylum seekers who had come into Texas to Democratic-run cities across the country. Obviously a horrible incident. Um, do you support well, what Governor Abbott is doing in, in shipping these migrants? And w- what about this little boy? Well, look, uh, any death is is unacceptable, and, and, and we should all be saddened from it and try to prevent that from happening. But 100 people died just last month in Texas um, because of the inhumane policies. Uh, we, we always focus on... Because the of the open borders, quote-unquote. Because, because of open borders, because we're not stopping narco-traffickers and the human smugglers, because we're not addressing root causes in places like the Northern Triangle. And so this, we should be upset about all of this. And 5.5 million people coming into the country illegally is is unacceptable. Uh, last year there was a drowning case, uh, two drowning cases a couple of weeks ago. But last year, 141 people drowned in in the Rio Grande in the Rio Grande River, and and nobody was talking about that. The policies of Joe Biden are the ones that are inhumane. He needs to start treating human smugglers like terrorist organizations. We also need to be addressing the fentanyl issue. I think fentanyl can, is a precursor element of a, of a weapon of mass destruction. Uh, we should be treating fentanyl with that level of, of focus. And we need to be working with our allies throughout Central and South America, something that Joe Biden has been incapable of doing. Oh, and by the way, Donald Trump was 
pretty terrible at that. So these are the these are the things that we need to be doing, and, and also these are the conversations we should be having. And this is why Americans are sick and tired of both Donald Trump and Joe Biden and all their legal ba ba baggage because there's a lot more issues we should be addressing that we haven't had the chance to do. Now, take it for what what it is. This is Will Hurd who is running. Uh, for as a candidate for president, super long shot bid. He's not even going to qualify, I don't believe, for the first Republican debate because of both donors and polling. Uh, he's just a little blip on the radar, but he gets in the media. Uh, this is the reason I play this audio. Will Hurd is a moderate Republican. He is opposed to Donald Trump, doesn't like Joe Biden. He is a moderate, and he a moderate Republican who only gets on the television to bash Donald Trump, believes Joe Biden needs to treat the human smugglers and drug dealers of the border as terrorists. A moderate who MSNBC loves thinks Joe Biden needs to treat them as terrorists, the human smugglers, the drug traffickers. Ron DeSantis caused ulcers of heartburn in the media last week when he said uh, if the Mexican government won't help us, we need to help ourselves to blowing up the, the drug trafficking operations in Mexico, that we should be willing to go to war against them. And uh, the media got on the fainting couch that Ron DeSantis would da dare say this. Will Hurd hasn't gone that far, but he wants him on the terrorist list. There's a growing number of Republicans and Democrats alike who want these people on terror watch lists and terror lists. They want this expanded. The, the, the Democrats are fretting over whether or not to declare climate change an emergency to empower the president to do crazy things. They have not wanted to declare the border an emergency. They haven't wanted to declare the fentanyl crisis an emergency. They want, have not wanted to declare the, the cartel operations an emergency. There was, what was it? It was the Tom Clancy novel, Clear and Present Danger, where American special operators went down to Central America and waged war against the drug cartels. And ultimately, there was some truth to what we were doing in Colombia and elsewhere, going after the cartels in Colombia, bringing them down. We haven't done that in Mexico. We allegedly have cooperation from the Mexican government, but the fact is you talk to anyone, Democrat or Republican in Washington, D.C., and they tell you it's not really real cooperation. They're not really doing what they claim to be doing. In fact, there's lots of suspicion that AMLO, uh, the president of Mexico, is in the pocket of the drug cartels, or he's got some level of detente with them. He turns a blind eye to them and they to him, although they're expanding operations in uh, Mexican areas that have uh, high tourist concentrations. I've got friends of mine who have gone down to Mexico and, and they have horror stories now, uh, not just in Cancun, but in other parts of, of Mexico. Uh, Acapulco has had problems. Puerto Vallarta has had problems. La Paz has had problems. Cancun has had problems. And uh, the security in Mexico is collapsing. It is a failed narco state. Mexico is increasingly a failed narco state. The regions of Mexico, the states of Mexico, are largely, if they can, taking care of themselves because the Mexican government itself is too inept, incompetent, and overwhelmed to be able to do anything. The cartels are running circles around them. And our president, who can't even go to Hawaii, 
or comment on the deaths there seems clueless of what to do south of the border. It's showing up in polling, this issue. You know, the reality is that a great many people who have come to this country legally from Central America are horrified by what they see happening. They know how hard it was to get here, and they know the border's not secure. And they're horrified when they see, for example, uh, people like Greg Abbott being vilified by the media for trying to take a tough stance to fight back. So Greg Abbott has set up um, orange buoys that run down the Rio Grande to block people from crossing the Rio Grande. It's an impediment to them crossing. Tragically, a few weeks ago, someone drowned in the Rio Grande. They did not drown this person, these group of people, actually. They didn't drown where the buoys were. They actually drowned upstream from the buoys, and their bodies floated down into the buoys. Democratic operatives sought to blame the governor. They claimed the governor caused the deaths. They claimed it was his fault and it was the buoys, and it was not true. They lied about it. That's what you expect. They lied about it. The media seized on the deaths and they tried to claim, well, they had to go there because the buoys obstructed elsewhere. In other words, we need more buoys. That should be proof the buoys are working if they're trying to go elsewhere. And by the way, it wasn't true either. It's just what they claimed. We have a huge problem south of us. We have a large country with a diverse people that's collapsing. American tourists are less and less safe when they go to Mexico. I have a friend whose cousin went to Mexico. I believe the cousin went to Acapulco, not Cancun. Might have been Cancun, but I think it was Acapulco. She was kidnapped. She was injected with drugs. She was held for money. She somehow or another was able to figure out enough of her condition to escape and was near the airport. She made her way to the airport. She was arrested by the police and thrown in prison for being on drugs. Her family was able to get her out. She had been abused. Um, drugged, abused, true story. The family was able to get her out. Thank God she was able to be found. This is happening in multiple parts of Mexico. It's not safe for tourists anymore. The country is collapsing. And our government, led by Joe Biden, seems absolutely clueless as to what to do. We maintain niceties. Ken Salazar, the, um, used to be the governor of Colorado, he's now the 
uh, what was he was the interior secretary, I think, for Clinton or for Obama. He's now the ambassador to Mexico. Uh, even people within the United States government say he's too deferential to the Mexican president. He's doing his more time carrying water for the Mexican president than pushing the agenda of the American people towards Mexico. This president seems clueless as to what to do. The border is not secure. We had just uh, we had cartels come over the other day. Did you see the the pictures? Fox News ran them. Ultimately, other news organizations wound up running them as well. Uh, Three cartel gunmen who were seen illegally uh, crossing into Fronton, Texas last week. They've been arrested in the same area, by the way, in a joint operation, the Texas Department of Public Safety, the Border Patrol. They had six magazines of uh, 5.56 rounds, military-grade weapons, AK-47, M4 rifles recovered. They were seen on camera crossing Canine dogs helped find them. Guns were tossed into the river. The guns had been loaded. The men are members of the Northeast Cartel. They confirmed it. At least they've been caught. These people have been caught. Cartel members coming across the border, crossing the Rio Grande, armed with automatic and semi-automatic weapons, armed. And the Biden administration thinks the border is secure. Secretary Mayorkas tells us the border is secure. The border is not secure. And we need to secure it. When you have a moderate Republican, Trump-hating, former member of Congress saying that this president needs to treat these drug cartels and human traffickers as terrorists, the tide has turned in public opinion, when a guy like Will Hurd is saying this on CNN. And this administration still won't do anything. The president has no comment. He's going to Lake Tahoe. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to The Sensibles, and at bcs-kids.com. The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. bcs-kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Hello, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on the program. We, we have reached a historic milestone today. And it's one we need to note. Lawrence Churcher is dead. Not a single one of you listening knows who Lawrence Churcher is. 102 years old. You you don't know who Lawrence Churcher is, and that's okay. But his death marks a milestone. And it's one we should really pay attention to. 
as these milestones begin to stop being reached. It's okay that you don't know who Lawrence Churcher is. He's 102 years old. He died over the weekend. Lawrence Churcher is the last survivor of Dunkirk. Yeah, that Dunkirk. We are losing our World War II veterans. We've lost now uh, the last American to have fought in World War I. We are now today getting word of Lawrence Churcher's passing, the uh, Portsmouth, England-born former sailor is believed to be the last veteran from Dunkirk. Um, remarkable historic note here that now all of the men who waited on the beaches and came in the boats are dead. He was just a few days short of his 103rd birthday. Um, and used to document and tell the stories of being on the boats. Um, Mr. Churcher was awarded the Legion of Honor in France. He helped supply ammunition to the front lines and was posted to a railhead outside Dunkirk. When he, together with thousands of the British Expeditionary Force, were ordered to pull back to the beaches, he began looking for the Hampshire Regiment in hopes of finding his two brothers, Edward and George. Amazingly, they met each other and managed to sail back to the UK on the same ship. All three brothers were fine. They felt relief. There were so many soldiers and aircraft dropping bombs and strafing us. I had so many things on my mind as well. I got aboard our ship. One fellow leaned on my shoulder, gave a sigh of relief and said, thank God we've got a Navy. And that sort of churned it up inside me. We knew we had to get those soldiers off the beach. He was 19 years old. An Allied force of 338,000 men were stranded on the beach by the Nazis and nearly faced wiping out until Winston Churchill mounted the largest flotilla of private ships to sail across the English Channel and rescue the men stuck on the beach. And now all of them have gone to history. Mr. Churcher was 102 years old. Fascinating history. Now, in this country, in cities across America, Americans for Prosperity is showing up to explain to people why Bidenomics is bad. In fact, there's new data out I'll get to in the next half hour showing just how bad Bidenomics is for people. The media seems dumbfounded that Americans aren't giving Joe Biden credit for some sort of economic turnaround. The economic turnaround is not happening to most of America, and Americans for Prosperity is pointing out why and how to turn the tide on it. They want you to be a part of it. They're going on a roadshow around the country. They want you to be a part of it. They want you to be an activist with Americans for Prosperity. They want you to learn how to talk to your neighbor, to your city councilman, to your state legislators about free markets and free people, about good ideas, about uh, rolling back the regulatory state and the bureaucracy. Uh, they've got 36 chapters around the country. They're growing in the other states as well. They've got over 4 million people who've signed up to become better conservative activists with them and to go on the road with them to fight binomics. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. You can go sign up with Americans for Prosperity today. 
americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Be one of the four million activists around the country fighting for free markets and free people, fighting to roll back the government, fighting for limited government. It's what they do. They're experts at it. Looking forward to having them in Atlanta share their vision for a smaller government and freer people. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with them today. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation, and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations, and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They can cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. I got to note this from the weekend. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. I got to note this. Uh, These two comments on CNN. This from Dana Bash about the Hunter Biden special counsel. She says it could fuel uh, the Republicans, but the other way to look at it is that it could keep Republicans at bay because now that you do have a special counsel, which a lot of Republicans were uh, were calling for, A and B, I I can't remember if it was Paula or one of our other uh, reporters, maybe you guys are making this point, that uh, while the special counsel is doing his work, he can't, he's, unlikely to talk to uh, to Congress, and it's unlikely for them to get the information that they're working. Yeah, he's not going to talk to Congress. It is going to make it more difficult for House Republicans to do their work. She's telling the truth. And then there's this from Jake Tapper, also at CNN, about the special counsel. I do think it's fair to question why would U.S. Attorney Weiss be appointed the special counsel. Usually a special counsel comes as an outside attorney. Right. Now, it has happened before Durham came from inside, uh, and the attorney general has the, the right to do that, but it is odd. Second of all, this was a this plea deal was picked apart by the judge, so one could ask, why would you stick with the U.S. attorney um, if he, if, you know, if this was a failure, a colossal failure, if the two sides had not agree, even agreed upon what was in that plea deal. Um, and then I think there, there are questions about whether or not it was harsh enough, uh, this plea deal, whether or not it was strong enough. Um, beyond that, uh, there are some other questions I have, which include the... US, the, the U.S. Attorney Weiss, then he's now a special counsel, so one of the reasons to make him a special counsel, supposedly, is so that he has the ability to charge in other venues outside Delaware. But I believe he had previously argued publicly that he had the right to do whatever he wanted, and then the whistleblowers said, well, behind the scenes, Weiss was complaining he couldn't do that, he wasn't able to do that, 
and the Justice Department and Weiss denied what the whistleblowers were saying. But this move makes it seem as though, well, maybe the whistleblowers were right. Maybe what they were alleging is true, and he didn't have the ability to charge wherever he wanted to charge, and now he does. So I, I do have a lot of questions about that, and I do think some of the political uh, questions being raised by Republicans uh, have merit. Amen. Good for Jake Tapper to note that. Uh, good for Jake Tapper to note that. Amen. Um, those are all legitimate issues. Yeah, you know, we've all on the right agreed there needed to be a special counsel. There did need to be a special counsel. But why do you make special counsel the guy who got laughed out of court by a federal judge over his weak plea deal? Who claimed he didn't need to be a special counsel and was not being obstructed and then did that. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, yeah, I need to be special counsel. It just doesn't add up unless... This is just a way to protect Joe Biden, obstruct Congress's investigation from getting too close and getting through the election. If you look at it that way, then you understand. Now, that's just one other distraction to have to deal with. On top of that, we've got the economic problems. Um, there's this story at CNN. U.S. inflation means families are spending $709 more per month than two years ago. Democrats have been, like, befuddled. Why aren't people giving Joe Biden credit for the economy? They, they, they just don't understand. Don't, don't you feel like the economy is better than it was? U.S. inflation, according to CNN, has been a snowballing effect on family budgets. The typical American household spent $709 more in July than they did two years ago to buy the same goods and services, according to Moody's Analytics. That figure underscores the cumulative impact high inflation has had on consumer finances, even as price growth has cooled considerably. High inflation of the past two years has done lots of economic damage, Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics, wrote in a post on Twitter. Most of that increase in spending is driven by household costs, which have surged, Zandi told CNN in an email on Friday. He added that families are also spending more at the grocery store on buying, maintaining, and insuring vehicles and on recreational services like cable television. Paychecks have grown over the past two years, but not as much as the cost of inflation. Now, you, you want me to blow your mind? I thought this was a typo, and it's not. In fact, when this came out and hit the wires, most people thought it was a typo, and it's not. U.S. driving soared in 2021 to 3.23 trillion miles driven. But it's gone up from there in 2022 and appears on track in 2023 to be even higher. And do you know why? Cost of airplane tickets. They're extremely expensive. I fly a lot. I fly Delta. And I've been using Sky Miles as much as I can these days to take some trips. But occasionally, I do have to pay for a ticket. And it's expensive. It doesn't matter whether you're in the back of the plane or the front of the plane. It's expensive to travel by air right now. 
Not only is it expensive to travel by air, it's a pain in the butt to travel by air right now. It is a huge pain in the butt to travel. Uh, airports are crowded. TSI, TSA lines are backed up. They're short of manpower to man the lines, and it's all kabuki theater anyway, which makes you resent it. The airports are slammed. The flights are canceled. The planes are backed up. The weather delays are are problematic. The crazy people you're dealing with and flying. Um, it's just it, it, air travel is an expensive pain these days. And more Americans, because it's so expensive, have decided the only thing they can do is get in their car and take road trips with their family. My family, in fact, has uh, done that more. We we have not flown this summer. Usually we do. Now, we were going to uh, go to Arizona at the beginning of the summer, in the middle of the heat wave, go to Sedona, Arizona. It's a little cooler there than it is in Phoenix. And my wife got sick. She couldn't fly, and we didn't. Uh, but then we haven't been anywhere else by plane this summer because it's expensive. It is so freaking expensive to fly right now, particularly a family. I mean, when I fly, I, I can write it off for a business expense because I'm, I'm traveling for work. But when I take the family on vacation, it's out of my pocket, not the company's pocket, and it's it's expensive to do. And I'm not flying private as much as I want to use Priority Jet. I'm not. I'm on Delta. Now, I, and, and I'm a, I'm a reasonable, insane person. I'm not flying spirit. I mean, I, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to fly on spirit if I can help it. Um, I don't want to accidentally wind up with a seat strapped to the plane wing. Um, but on Delta, on Southwest, Southwest can be a little more reasonable, but it's it's pricey. It is pricey. There's also a reduction in affordable housing in the country right now. The number of affordable homes on the market in the U.S. is less than half what it was in 2012. Mortgage rates are up. Affordable housing is down. Property taxes are on the rise in places around the country. Niall Ferguson, who writes at Bloomberg, he's an opinion columnist. He has this piece in Bloomberg that's worth considering about the idea that uh, we're going to land the plane, so to speak, that we're going to somehow be able to get the economy to calm down without much pain. He writes, future historians will marvel at the amount of time economists in the 2020s devoted to calculating various measures of inflation to one decimal point. They will also wonder why such a bad analogy as landing a plane was used to explain the effects of monetary policy to the public. This decade will not be identical to the 1970s, nor will it replicate the experience of the 1920s or the 1940s. But the idea that we can recover from the fiscal and monetary excesses of the past three years without economic pain at a time of political polarization and geopolitical conflict seems historically implausible, unless that is you still believe in Santa, the Tooth Fairy, and Goldilocks. That's why Americans kind of understand something wicked this way comes. The elite don't believe it. Patrick Ruffini, Republican pollster, put up an amazing map over the weekend on Twitter. It showed the richest, wealthiest census tracts in the nation. There is an unbroken chain of wealth from Northern Virginia all the way up to Boston. 
from Northern Virginia all the way to Boston, through New York, through Delaware, parts of New Jersey, to Connecticut, Massachusetts, extreme wealth, the richest part of the country, an unbroken chain. Most of the rest of the country is fairly diverse. They're extremely wealthy, nonstop, from Northern Virginia all the way up to Boston, extremely wealthy. There are a few pockets, a few census tracts of poverty, but very few compared to the rest of the nation. Even California has more diversity of income than uh, the Acela Corridor. They don't understand the rest of us. They don't live like the rest of us. It's this Brahmin caste system up there, this, this elite caste of people who believe that everything is fine and hunky-dory because they do not feel that $709 a month extra. That's the money they find in the couch on the weekend. They don't feel it. So they're setting economic policy, these people. Uh, they're setting economic policy. They're, they're, they're setting their policies on Wall Street. They're conducting their business as if there's no big deal, as if we're going to land the plane, as if no one's going to suffer. And if people are going to suffer, well, it won't be them. Ha, 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 ha. They probably will suffer. Because I, I, my, my personal suspicion is that this populist moment we're in, it's not over. That people left, right, and center are really, really beginning to seethe with anger at those people who live in the Acela Corridor because they're so unlike the rest of the country. They are privileged. They're pampered. They're... Uh, educated at Ivy League institutions, they 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 can have recreational drug use, recreational sexual encounters without consequence. Uh, mommy and daddy trust funds take care of it. There was a letter in the New York Times over the weekend. I kid you not. It's a letter in the New York Times over the weekend. A man has been married for 15 years. His wife is a highly successful doctor. He earns $25,000 a month from a trust fund. He's never told his wife that's where he gets his money. His wife thinks he gets money from all the nonprofits he works on and the boards he sits on. He gets his money from a trust fund, and he's never told his wife. It's these sorts of people we're dealing with. he for been married for 15 years. His wife's a doctor. She has no clue that he's a trust fund kid. There's nothing wrong with being a trust fund kid, except when you're a trust fund kid, who thinks the rest of the world can live like you. Most people can't. And these are the people who want to set social policy and economic policy and the morals of the country. And more and more Americans are turning against them, as they should, because this is no way to lead your life, no way to live your life. And the idea that we're somehow going to gracefully slow down the economy without economic consequence as China itself is slipping into a depression is a fairy tale. And yet it's the one that Washington sells itself because Washington and the Acela Corridor, the high-speed Amtrak line that goes from New York or from D.C. up to Boston that all the, the, the bigwigs travel on, they're selling themselves this soft landing of no consequence because they got enough money they won't feel it, unlike the rest of us. And that's why the rest of us will respond with backlash against them. And they don't see it coming yet. Fast food customers are giving up on dining in. You know, it's a real tragedy in my family this week. They've closed the Chick-fil-A. 
We live in a neighborhood, and across the street a few years ago, they built a Chick-fil-A, and now they've closed it, only for a month. They're tearing up everything, and they're redoing it because it gets backed up so much. They're redesigning the drive throughs I want a mobile-only lane that is enforced because I use the app. I, I got, I got, I mean, I got a lot of points in my Chick-fil-A app, and I use the app and I go, and I'm inevitably behind someone who's in the lane that was the mobile lane, who doesn't even know what the app is, who's dragging their feet when I want to get in and I want to get out. I want a designated mobile lane that you're not allowed to use unless you use the app. I want to be rewarded for using the app and making it convenient and getting my order right. And I think I'm 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 allowed. I, I should be. All of us who use the app should do it. It's not just Chick-fil-A. Taco Bell is redesigning their location. I think they got one in Atlanta now where like the restaurant is upstairs and everything downstairs. It looks like a bank drive through windows with, with, with the meals coming. McDonald's is redesigning as well. So prior to COVID, 20 to 25% of orders placed in fast food restaurants were consumed on premises, which I would have assumed it was higher than that to begin with except at a place like Chick-fil-A, but now it's only 15 to uh, 10 to 15%, 14% on average. The result is that McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Taco Bell, Chick-fil-A, um, most fast food restaurants now are redesigning how they're going to use their restaurants. They're also automating more. And I got to tell you, I personally like, even with McDonald's, using the app. So I don't like pickles on my burger. I, I, I don't like dill pickles. I don't want the pickle on my burger. Uh, and I want extra ketchup on it. They don't put enough ketchup. I like ketchup on my burger. And if I use the app, I always get the order right. If I have to speak, or you can't understand what the person is saying to begin with, and they can't understand you. And half the time I get extra pickles and no ketchup. I can do it on the app and I get it right. I even like the touchscreen interface. And, of course, they're getting rid of people. Part of it is people don't want to work in the fast food restaurants, and they don't have enough people, so they're having to turn to automation. But the robots, I don't know about the robots. You know, some restaurants are using the automated robots in the restaurant. I saw a video the other day, though, in some parts of California, uh, local delivery restaurants are, um, are oh, shut up, hush, lies. Charlie says, my burger preferences are horrendous. I should be disqualified from doing radio. You know what? I could fire him, but I got the gathering this week, and he's kind of like more necessary than I am this week. We'll get revenge later. Nonetheless, I I, I just, I got to say that these restaurants, these fast food restaurants are having to completely redesign the way they do things. Like, for example, I'm pretty sure we've seen like the days of the fast food restaurant playground going away after COVID. Who wants to take their germy kid to the playground at the fast food restaurant where all the other COVID positive kids have been breathing on the balls on the restaurant? I, I don't think people want to do that anymore. I think we're going to see the end of the fast food restaurant playground for the most part and the expansion of the drive throughs I, I do have to say Chick-fil-A, they've got to do something, particularly mine. Uh, they're coming up with new Chick-fil-A designs as well that are almost like the Taco Bell one where the restaurant's upstairs and everybody under, you drive underneath the restaurant and you have like three or four lanes to get the food, hopefully with a single like app lane for those of us who are smart enough to use the app. 
it's a brave new world in fast food restaurants in America because of post-COVID. We have completely reprioritized our lives, and people don't want to sit in a fast food restaurant to eat any. I mean, I never have really to begin with since I was a kid, uh, and I don't want to go on the playground anymore. My kids, when they were little, wanted to go to the playground, but not anymore. They've grown up too. And as people are having less kids uh, and people are driving more, they're going to have to redo these things. A lot of these buildings torn out. What is Arby's going to do? I don't know. Do people go to Arby's anymore? I guess they do. My wife's not happy with Arby's right now, but that's okay. Uh, Fast food, something to think about. And please, Chick-fil-A, speed up. My kids will not survive a month without the Chick-fil-A across the street. My wallet, however, will be very happy. So I do have to think about that. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Sounds like it'll be indictment day.